Welcome to episode 82 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, I know we're right in the middle of all of the holiday season, and I just had my students come back from Thanksgiving. And when they came back, I asked a lot of them. The question I always like to ask is, what was your favorite thing you ate? And I have a lot of kids that are on the autism spectrum. And then I realized as I was asking this question, a lot of them said, I don't know, I didn't really eat anything, or I didn't like any of the food. And it made me realize, like that I needed to adjust some of my expectations <laughs> and things that I, you know, talked about based on their needs and their um, likes and dislikes. So I was thinking about that in the upcoming holidays and Asha Wire actually put out a article that was um, flu- full inclusion holidays. And they talk about just some of the things to consider with our students with autism um, or our students with sensory needs that might be helpful to going into the holidays. So they talked about things like getting ready, preparing students in advance, um, you know, recognizing when they might need a break, uh, rethinking some of like the sensory input that they're receiving in some of the activities we do. And it just made me think about, you know, being aware and sensitive to those, those differences in our own students and just when we're out like in the community as well. I agree. And even, you know, the blinking lights can be a trigger. Right. And I mean, all those things you just may not automatically think about mm-hmm. uh, unless you have a child who's sensitive or an, even an adult who may be sensitive of those kinds of things. But you just you just need to sometimes think about that. Of yeah. who's, who's coming to dinner or who's right, coming right. to visit? And, yeah. And, and the dinner thing too, you know, maybe like reaching out and asking a family that, you know, that they might have those needs. What, what can I serve that he will eat? <laughs> and right. That things like right. that can be very appreciated. And we, we have uh, a family member who has, who's has uh, some different diagnoses and, and has really severe allergies. Mm-hmm. I mean, really severe allergies. So we have to be very careful about how we handle the food in the house when they visit. And if we go out somewhere, we have to really make sure that, you know, gluten-free and all these other uh, issues are, are addressed uh, and, or he can't eat. He has to take his own food with him uh, to the restaurant. So, yeah, it's, it, it, you have to take, you have to really do the planning ahead of time and you want to make everyone feel welcome and accommodated. So, it can be a challenge sometimes, but I think it's something we need to do. Yep. Yep. I think so too. So on the podcast today, we have uh, someone else from Presence Learning. Uh, so we do want to thank them again for for uh, allowing us to interview another person who's actually coming back to the podcast. Uh, her name is Stephanie Taylor. And Stephanie... Uh, is the clinical director of psychoeducational services. And so she's going to talk more about the Therapy Essentials platform and how it you know, could be very beneficial to not only SLPs, but other 
certainly psychologists, school psychologists, and other uh, providers and other professionals. So I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say about the, the platform and how it can be used, as well as and she's going to talk a little bit about assessments, too. So that'll be fun. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Okay, we want to welcome Stephanie Taylor. We actually want to welcome her back to the podcast. She has been on a previous episode. Um, So, Stephanie, for those that might be new listeners or not familiar, um, tell us your background and what you're doing now with telepractice. I will. Thank you for having me back. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm Stephanie Taylor, and I am a school psychologist by training. I am currently the clinical director of psychoeducational services at Presence Learning. I um, have been with Presence Learning for seven years now. So, you know, dedication to the the teletherapy trade is not new for us. Uh, Something we've been working on for for quite some time and, and trying to really um, perfect into its its own um, standalone modality and not something that is is seen as an alternate to uh, when in-person contact can't be achieved. So that's definitely something that uh, we feel passionate about. I started out as a uh, special education teacher, actually. So my first five years of being in the educational field were as, as a special education teacher. I returned to afterward um, after just having worked with like some really great school psychologists as a special education teacher and seeing like how the information that they gave me was so important for me to be able to like plan out the student needed and to to direct my um, academic interventions. And so I really wanted to be able to do that as well as to take on the the counseling and the therapy. So I returned and um, and got my degree, and then I got a, a job. I live in rural Idaho, and um, not only did I see, first of all, how hard it is for us to find related services professionals, so the district was always struggling to find speech pathologists, occupational therapists, school psychologists. Every single summer was just stressful because we either had somebody who we had convinced for a while and they had driven out from another town, but now they didn't want to drive out anymore. Or we had somebody that came for a little bit, but they didn't, um, they didn't enjoy the small town. And so they, they left again. And I I really saw just how it disrupted the consistency for, for students. 
for services, just for assessments, for everything um, that they needed and how stressful it was, honestly, to to school staff to feel unsupported and like they had no consistency in someone who understood their school, their community, you know, their their specific needs um, and cultural needs. And when I I found out about presence learning um, back in like 2013, they were offering speech services and occupational therapy services. And I I happened to be um, part of some conversations about is it okay to complete speech assessments remotely, but you know, or not. And that's something that went, you know, through Idaho and went up to the State Department. And I had the opportunity to um, be part of a committee that really looked at, um, like, did we want to sort of approve this as a as a state? And I got to see presence learning, and I got to have a demo, and I got all the information about it. And I was like, oh no, this is legit. Like, I this is not weird, and I <laughs> I can actually get behind it, which I didn't think is what was going to happen to me. Uh, and then soon after that experience actually um i someone from presence learning reached out to me and said hey we're we're wanting to expand you know to the other related service professions such as school psychology would you like to come interview and um i i did and the rest is history as far as i came to presence learning and um implemented the research around the Woodcock Johnson for the achievement in the cognitive uh, assessments. We did that in conjunction, of course, with Riverside Insights and um, Jordan Wright was our third party uh, principal investigator. Um, so just really, I feel like I have had a front row seat to the um, birth of uh, psycho psychoeducational assessments uh, remotely. And it's been, it's been quite a, a great ride. And so then I've also had some opportunities to be part of the development of what is what are best practices around those and what are really some some cool advantages of doing things this way. Mm-hmm. I'm I want to take just a step back and just ask you a, a quick question. Can you define what psychoeducational testing is? What are you trying to do as a psychologist when you're working with a child? That's uh, Thank you for backing me up. Oh, no. uh, I always say psychoeducational because as a school psychologist, um, everything that I look at is really based around how is it affecting their ability to learn and function in the classroom. So psychoeducational to me, of course, is matching their cognitive abilities, their um, weak strengths and their weaknesses and their emotional needs and all the things that are going on. And how do those apply or are come out in the, the school setting? And how are they affecting the students' ability to absorb the educational opportunities that they are receiving? But I will say, I'm glad you brought it up because um, our, as we'll get into in a little bit, uh, the presence learning platform is also a really great tool for clinical psychologists who might be l- looking at a broader um, band than I am as a school psychologist. And so I do get set in my ways and say psychoeducational, but really there is a, a broad application for general cognitive uh, evaluations remotely. And, and, and just not to belabor this, but, but even like behavioral health, I mean, for whatever, everything I'm reading, they've, you know, 
counseling and psychologists and maybe even psychiatrists, but they're, you know, basically going almost a hundred percent into telehealth now, uh, and, and really embracing it, you know, more and more. So, uh, so it's been interesting to see that evolution. They've just kind of said, yeah, we can just do it through some platform, you know? So is that, so would you say the, uh, presence learning, the new platform therapy essentials would also work for behavioral health as well? Absolutely. Um, when when I say psychoeducational, I sort of in my mind am also thinking of this that that broader um, umbrella of both behavioral and mental health services right. as well as um, assessments, psychoeducational assessments. Right. But absolutely, and I think the thing that's great, at least again from my perspective about present learning, is the platform that we built for our um, contracted clinicians to use in the school setting is then the same platform that we improved and worked on and then put out there as therapy essentials so that other people can utilize it and take advantage of it. And it doesn't have to just be in the school setting anymore. So there is a, that broad application where people are, are in general saying, um, not only does the market want this, right? So many people want telehealth. Like I love telehealth. Again, I live in a rural place. When I have to drive to the doctor in general, that's like half a day for me. Right. right. Um, when it, I prefer to receive things that way. And then as a practitioner, um, the efficiency and the effectiveness of doing things remotely, being able to see so many people without that, th- th- that time that is eaten up by either like driving or um, checking in and checking out, the patients being late second traffic the, there's all sorts of things that of course it's just it's the market both ends the the user and the uv they both want teletherapy and they like this mode of receiving and giving services and so the more i think that more you know more opportunities to provide them with a quality platform the happier everybody will be mm-hmm. I agree. yeah so what are some of the things because i think when we had you on before we were mostly talking about assessments what are some of the things that um, are built in or are things that people are doing with the platform as far as providing treatment for mental health and behavior we uh well for a few things there are um we actively seek out a publishing partnership so to get licensed content from our publishing partners uh we right now we're looking a lot at some programs that have wide applicability, so things that can be used as sort of a um, general socio-emotional um, support program, social skills, um, general behavioral skill deficits, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, looking a little bit more into what are those areas of need and are the most requested areas that we know that students and children in general need need help and need services. So part of it is like we're going out and actively finding the things that are we're hearing that clinicians and providers want and contracting to put that into our platform. And then part of it is that we have a great network of um, clinicians who also are creating and submitting their own items. So we it's really a great way of uh, also crowdsourcing and getting things from people who have experience doing it remotely and they're building things that are uh, conducive to remote delivery. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's probably a little bit easier now that everyone's kind of used to that. <laughs> Everyone had to transfer to doing it online. It's easier to find resources. Yes. Absolutely. And also, it, it really has made a difference, too, in um, just the ability to be able to, to get digital licenses on things. To be mm-hmm. honest, when we started, you know, in 2013, 14, meaning when I started with Pleasant Learning, um, a lot of times, it was hard, you know, trying to license something digitally was something that a lot of the our, the publishers had not really like contemplated yet. They were still licensing physical copies of things, but the idea of like how to um, navigate a, a digital um, deal was was still a little bit new to some people, and that's one thing that really actually has gotten a lot easier and a lot better through the pandemic is that we were a lot of people went to digital and so they had they had a model for it now they had pricing for it and we could really come in and, and get those um those resources and, and put them bring them to our platform i think some of the um i want your feedback on this uh, this this com- not complaint but concern that's raised sometimes and that is you know clinicians may say well, this this assessment was normed on a live in-person administration, and now this is just a digital copy of something that was normed differently. Does it stand up? I mean, can I rely? Are these results reliable uh, when I do it in digital form through a you know telepractice platform? Yeah, I I think, and that's a very valid question. Um, I would say that right now, research on um, what's been done thus far is is equivalency research, um, right. where it's all about looking at does the change in modality are the results going to be equivalent? Because you're correct, like there um, nothing has been normed remotely at this point. Right. Uh, that, although that is something that um, you know we are actively looking towards and would like to to accomplish is to have something remotely normed and in a partnership with one of our, our publishers. Mm-hmm. But at this time, everything is looking at equivalency. And what I think has been great is not only are there some direct equivalency studies. So there's a direct equivalency study for the Woodcock Johnson cognitive and achievement. There's a direct mm-hmm. equivalency study for the RIAS two, and there's mm-hmm. a direct equivalency study for the WISC five. Then if you take those mm-hmm. and there are, um, a lot of the, the publishers have also put out guidance on their websites to say, we right. feel comfortable taking the direct studies that have been done, so the direct evidence of equivalency, and applying it to these other tests by in, in, indirect mm-hmm. um, methodology, saying it's the same type of test, you're doing the same type of um, question, the same type of answer, so that right. we feel like comfortable that it also falls under that umbrella. Um, so that's the first thing is that there, even though the research is, um, is, is young, we need more, there is research. And also the publishers themselves are, have come forward and really put out a lot of great, great guidance around specific tests and anything. Um, here's a great example for the WISC-5. One of the things that they've been very forthright about is that if you're going to do it, if you're going to do block design, you have to have the stimulus book flat on the table like it would be in person. You can't have it um, horizontal uh, displayed on a screen. 
So if you're going to use that test, you have to know some of the limitations and you have to find ways around them. So it's all about just knowing the information and and knowing um, what possible changes the modality will have on the outcome and choosing your test wisely and choosing your opportunities wisely. You know, on our website, we actually have a practical guide. Um, It's a practical guide. It's cognitive and academic teleassessment. And it's um, something that I feel like is a, it's about a, if you were to print it off, it's probably about a 15 page guide, but it really walks through how to go about making some of these decisions, like how to take the professional judgment that you have and that you use every day in the, in, in person and to just kind of like take that same information and flip it a little bit. So it walks about thinking through the student environment. Where is the student sitting at or the client sitting at? What might be happening in their purview? How to mitigate some of those potential interruptions? Uh, it walks through like test selection. How, what are, how do you consider which test to use? And when can you feel comfortable that the remote is a true equivalent versus when it's not? Um, you know, it walks through a lot of those things as well. Like what is the difference between a proctor versus a somebody who is just making sure the audio and the video are working and then are not part of the evaluation at all after that. Because there is a lot to consider, but I think as people start to learn what to consider, they are going to get comfortable very quickly with being confident in their ability to make those decisions. It's just sometimes the unknown of what do I need to be looking for is um, daunting to people. Mm -hmm. It's just going to take time for people to get used to the process and understand. I mean, it just takes experience is really what it comes down to of using the platform, using, you know, looking at these assessments, following the guidelines and just developing their own comfort levels. Like you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. I think all of us in person, you know, at least me, I know when I was, you're in, I'm in grad school and or, or my internship and something happens in the middle of an assessment, right? Like uh, the cliche is like the fire alarm goes right. off via the fire drill or there's something that happens. And then I can remember thinking like, great. So now do I have to discard this whole test? What do, can I pick it up? Like, you know, you're making some of these decisions, like mm-hmm. do it now, now, which subtest am I going to use to replace this one? Or do I consider this an acceptable interruption? And it's all just that same type of stuff. Like you said, it's it's different things that are interrupting, but it's the same type of decision-making process. And it just takes experience to feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I remember last year I had um, a school I was working at with some students that were uh, much more higher support need than I was used to. And so when I thought about, you know, doing their annual assessments online, it was like, oh, I know how to do like older kids and kids that don't have high support needs. And, you know, I kind of used like a hybrid of like some of the students, I had them go in to the school and do some testing or some of them I used like some parent report testing that I thought would work better. Um, Some like of the communication matrix and things like that, that would work better. So I think it is, we still are going to have to make those decisions and it might be a decision where we're like, okay, Maybe online testing isn't the best fit for right now, but I've, you know, at least had experience with it. So I can say I can at least try it and I can see if this would work. Yeah, I think you put that absolutely beautifully because um, there's never 
I don't think anyone is advocating that somehow remote assessment or remote therapy or remote, um, you know, health is, is, is appropriate for everybody. Right. And that it's going to be applicable to all situations. So I think it's about really embracing those times and feeling like you said, empowered to say, you know what? No, I thought I, this was going to be okay remotely, but I'm going to stop right now and just cut my losses. Right. It's not going, I don't feel good that these, this is going to be valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and feeling like it's okay to do that. And it's, and, and as you do it more and learn, you kind of have a better inkling going in of when things are going to, to be a good option for remote versus in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've yet to figure out how anyone would do the preschool language scale <laughs> remotely. Oh, <God. laughs> oh, preschool. Preschool is just its own own universe. Yes, it they're, is. They're so yes, great. it is. So we've been talking about the, um, uh, is it Therapy Essentials, the platform that's available yep. um, for people to buy from Presence Learning. And when we talk about assessments, what unique features are on there as far as assessments for people that are wondering how it would be different from like buying an online license from the publisher and just getting on Zoom? As a follow-up, similar to that, because we're, we're starting to see a lot of, um, let's say, platforms being offered uh, in using this, you know, subscription model. So how does Therapy Essentials stand out versus the competitors? And we don't have to name them, but how does uh, Therapy Essentials stand out to some of the others that are out there trying to do the same thing? Um, so yes, Therapy Essentials is not only one where you can buy an individual subscription, but also if the school wants to buy, a school wants to buy licenses for their own staff to use it as well. That's another route of, of using it. Um, I think that, to, well, again, to me, the biggest difference in hands down is just the fact that we've been around and doing this for quite some time. We've had time to develop, time to think it over, time to put a, you know, um, an initial product out there and then improve upon it. And that I think has led us to being able, and also ours was developed by clinicians, um, you know, with, with therapy and with interactivity in mind. So one of my favorite things is when people have been doing things with Zoom and then they, they see a demo of our platform and you just see them that, that they're like, oh, that would be so much more useful. And that's like my, my favorite. I love that. Um, so the main thing truly is, as I mentioned, the interactivity. Um, the second thing, which, and I'll go into depth on both these, is the um, embedded content from the publishers. So what we do is we go out and seek partnerships with, um, you know, all the major test publishers, all the favorites that um, that you would want. And then we put the stimulus books directly into our platform. So they, that is the way that that is different though, than what you might access by from the publisher themselves, where you're just looking like getting the PDF and displaying them on zoom, then that becomes the features. Um, for example, once you're in assessments mode, instead of a mouse or instead of a pointer, your mouse becomes what I like to call the big foam finger. Um, like, like your sporting event. And it's really a pointer to be able to point to items, um, you can click on the items, it gives a little pulse, 
so that I can read the directions where if it's saying, if, if it's giving me as the in, um, examiner, examiner directions that says, you know, run your finger underneath these items and, and say, do you see these? Then I can still do that with the, I can still do that with the student. I can still perform the same action. I can read the exact same script and then they can see what I'm doing, but I can also see what they're doing. So th when this, when the client or student um, does theirs, they also have a phone finger. So they also, I can see what they're doing, what they're pointing at. Um, we can go back and forth and, and I can also um, load and move the items through as if uh, in a more natural way, which I feel is like more akin to, you know, flipping a student's mm -hmm. book and then moving through the items um, rather than like scrolling through PDFs. I would also say, yeah, hundred yeah, um, percent. And then I would also say that way that we've sort of broken them down for usability um, have really just put each subtest in its own category and you can load your queue. A queue is really setting yourself up for what you want to do that day. And whether that is therapy or that is assessment, you, you have, you can load your queue ahead of time. So, and also save your queue. So I have like, I have a lot of cues and some of them are like, might just be the standard of the, the Woodcock Johnson, you know, or it might be, I might have, I have a couple separate that are just reading clusters. So if I'm looking at a potential specific learning disability in reading, I can do, um, you know, the reading portions of a few different assessments all in one queue. I also can pull in my therapy things. Um, so and if I know that I need a built-in break or something like that, I can uh, prep all of that ahead of time. And then it stays there whenever I need it. I'm not going back and pulling up PDFs and scrolling through PDFs each and every time um, as a brand new starting point for the student. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all things that I have liked so much about that platform too. Keeps everything sort of right there, ready to go. And you're not searching all over the place trying to figure out what comes next and where is it. and Or having 50 million tabs open. Tabs open. <laughs> right. yeah. Your desktop. Yeah. And sometimes I'll even just depending, um, sometimes I sort them out by starting point too, so that I know like mm -hmm. just how old a student is. I'll, you know, uh, I start with a certain, um, I start certain half, you know, portions through the yeah. test. and Yeah. Um, give myself a little room for in case I need to go back for a basil, but otherwise, <laughs> um, it's just there's just a lot of variance and, and gives it makes me feel like I have a lot of control over how I'm organizing myself and getting ready for the evaluation, as well as how smoothly it goes in the meantime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I also, oh, sorry, I also like that um, I do still have, even when I'm doing an assessment or I'm in assessment mode, I do still have access to the other. Um, features from presence learning. So I still have access to all of the therapy activities and content and also the whiteboard. And also we have like little rewards and animations and things built in. So I can pivot on a moment's notice if I need to, if I feel like the student needs some encouragement or they need a break for a second and we just want to go to the whiteboard and draw or do some stamps. I have all of those things at my fingertips as well so that I can make those decisions in the moment. And I don't have to, which none of those 
um, you know, exist in a standard video conferencing platform. Yeah, yeah, they're not built in. That's a um, when you mentioned the foam figure. I don't know if you mentioned too that you can also see the students' side of their little like foam finger too, uh, and that that's really big on the page. I remember the first time that I tried to do a following directions uh, subtest, not on the platform. I had to have the parent give me like I sent them what the correct answers were and then I was having the parent give me like okay tell me a one if they got it right and a two if they got it wrong <laughs> and you know it's doable you can yeah. figure it out but it was so much easier when I was just like oh the student also has this giant cursor that they can point at it and I can see exactly what they're doing so some of that just how it was built in was so so great and useful. And I, I feel like one of the biggest questions that um, we get or that uh, maybe concerns that we hear is actually how much involvement does the proctor slash parent, if it's a student being evaluated at home, have to have? Because especially right. when you're doing a cognitive assessment, that's something people feel very uncomfortable and very wary about. Mm-hmm. And that is the other thing that is very important to me with Therapy Essentials and with just any platform is that it give you the ability to be able to control all of the clinical outcomes by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. I need somebody on the other side. If I like the audio and video have gone out or like there's certain things, maybe as I advocate for in the practical guide, like I advocate to do like have the adult do give you like a room 360 for a second. So you can see anything in the room that might be problematic. I mean, there's some stuff you need an adult for, but the absolute goal of therapy essentials, in my mind, is that once you have things set up and running, you can essentially act, have that adult walk away. And I, as the clinician, can do everything that I need and see everything that I need from my end and that I don't need to rely on a non-clinical, untrained person to do anything right. for me. Right. And I think that's really important. What I've heard from other people is having to send like an extra webcam and setting it up behind the the student and and mailing, you know, the protocols and stuff ahead of time and having the parent open the you know, the package on camera so that they're, they're not looking at it ahead of time. So it was, you know, all those things that was like, oh, that's just crazy trying to figure out a way to, to make this work. So the platform is much easier. So it's much more straightforward because everything's built in. So even even for us, even for residents learning, because it, um, because the studies that have been done are equivalency, you, we do still have to do those same things. Like we still need to send paper forms out to sure. the student because that's the norming um, is the paper forms, and right. there's no digital um, replacement for those yet. That would be right. sort of like the future facing, you know, where we want to get to, where it's, there's an all digital option. Mm-hmm. But we do still have those same test security needs where. We send out the envelopes, we have them marked so that the parent doesn't open them until it's there on camera, um, have them package it back up on camera or the proctor, whomever that is. Um, and so, yes, there is still like there are some logistical headaches that every anybody is going to run into, I think, that wants to do this properly and wants to um, really make sure that test security is protected, you know, it's protected. But I, I think that that is sort of um, just a, I guess, part of it being um, a new thing and, you know, a newer modality. And as 
kind of like I was talking about before with, um, you know, getting digital licenses for some of the curriculum that we want to offer. I think as this becomes more standard and again, people want to receive the things this way and they want to, and professionals want to practice this way. I think that we will see more um, openness and, and swifter movement towards the uh, ability to get rid of all, you know, paper or hard copy necessities in an assessment. I think a, a digitally um, designed and digitally normed assessment is, is a few, you know, a few years away, but only a few years away. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. So, yeah. Stephanie, oh, sorry, Kim, did you have? Nope, nope, you're good. Um, so when you were with us last time, did you participate in our moment of Zen? I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't remember know if we had started. I don't think. I don't think I don't you know did. if we had started yeah. doing it yet. <laughs> and you haven't talked to Kristen or, or Tasha about their moment of Zen. No. Okay. <laughs> I good. feel so excited right now. Okay, let's share. So about we it. we have a list of questions that we've asked uh, all of our guests, or well, since what few weeks now, few few months now, we've asked uh, these same questions, and you can choose to answer them in any way that you want. So short answers, long answers, whatever you want. Okay. Okay? okay. Here we go. So what's the most used app on your phone? Black. Um, Sadly. Slack, um, you know, as my, uh, our company <laughs> interactive messaging system, Slack right. by far is the most used on my phone. Okay, good. You, you have, you're always connected, right, to work. Um, what was the last TV series you streamed? Oh, you're really going to get me on this one. I secretly um, adore things that probably, uh, I don't know, most 12 to 13 year old girls <laughs> would like. Um, I just watched the vampire diaries on Ooh. Netflix and I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> it was, hey. it was a good decompressing, um, mindless, fun thing to do. Hey, you you own it. You own it. Vampire Diaries. Good. Uh, what's a favorite book? Um, The Little Prince. Oh, by yeah. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Yeah. yeah. I very... I um that's that's a book actually that we when I was in um high school our, mm-hmm. our it was something that our um, my AP English teacher actually went into uh, used very much to discuss like symbolism and and allegory and for whatever reason it was it I don't know it it really resonated with me and so um, actually I had an English degree with my special degree because I can also teach English if I wanted um, right. <laughs> that was the the route of my life. Um, and that's one something that for some reason has always stuck with me as a partial turning point of making me think that I loved literature. Oh, very nice. That's nice, nice feelings associated with that, that book. That's great. Um, 
who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Oh, this is the proverbial question, isn't it? Um, I would like to have dinner with my father, who is actually dead. Um, he passed away in 2004 from early onset Alzheimer's. Mm. And um, I was fairly, well, I, when he got Alzheimer's, I was in eighth grade. And so mm. I didn't really ever know him as an adult. And so I would really like to have like a, an adult to adult conversation with him. That would be, that would be amazing. Cause you know, when you're a kid, you, you remember people differently than you do. Like when you actually get to be an adult and you can, you know, look at them as a, a similar adult. And I think it would be um, very interesting to see what, um, what that did to my perspective of him. That's, a, that's cool. Yeah. Um, another, this is a, this is getting a little more deep now. If you could, if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to follow, what would it be? You're a queen of the world, and you're gonna say this has to be done. Everyone has to do it. Period. Ooh, or you get beaten by the vampires. I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) My one rule is everybody has to watch Vampire Diaries. No, um, I. I think oh, you can, I guess you can edit out all this hemming and hawing that I'm doing right now. <laughs> um, you know, I would really, if I'm queen, I, you know, and maybe this is just on my mind because of, of how things have been lately, but I want to, I would really want to put into rules um, how people are legally allowed to treat um, people in retail slash grocery slash like all public facing jobs. Service industry. Yeah, thank you. Service industry. That's where I was going with that. Um, And I mean, even like at the DMV and everywhere, Mm -hmm. I just, Anything that interacts with the public, I I feel like my heart has hurt a little bit. Yeah. Over the last little while, um, and I noticed the other day when I went to um, I don't remember a store, and I asked for something, and they were immediately like, "I'm sorry, I can't do that because X, Y, and Z," and I could already tell on that person's face that they were like prepping for me to be angry at them and that that clearly is the experience that they had had and clearly is like what they've been dealing with and I was like what state is is are things in if this person is already ready to defend themselves over this tiny little thing and how can I just you know be decent I think that's so a great that's answer. The rule I would make. Yeah. Well, I think you know these. There's so much happening right now in in our country and and how people are getting along. And it's you know, just follow the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And if they're in, you know providing a service and you know it's take that into account. You know they they've had a rough day. They're dealing with a lot of people. You're not the most important and, thing at that point in time. You know you or might not be. So. 
that and I I just think that there's a you know there's just a perception in general that um you know job it, job status is also some type of social status and I I just right. think that if we can get to where we you know everybody is just a human that would be that would be lovely um right. because you know the people who are in jobs that are perceived to be minimum wage or perceived to be um, entry level. Sometimes I hear, which when you've been doing an entry level job for you know 20 years, how insulting is that? Um, right. You know, to hear it called entry level. So right. I think that it's mostly about just recognizing that you know our our um, communities need people to do every type of job and are in every line of work and are in every stage of life. And those people are valuable in rounding out our community and our jobs and um, be decent to them. Be decent to everybody, not because of the job they have, but just because they are a human being. Exactly. Exactly. I I agree 100%. Um, What, no, excuse me. Where is the most exotic place you've been or the, the farthest place you've been? Um, I would say to Budapest, Hungary. Um, oh, that Budapest. is uh, the, I did a, a few years ago, um, my niece was doing a study abroad in Poland and I went to meet her when she was done and we did um, sort of a tour of, of some of Western um, Europe, but we got over to to Budapest or to Hungary and into Budapest, and it was the, that was the most Eastern European that we we got. But it was um, just such a cool city and very very interesting. And the first time that I had ever really seen um, buildings that were still like war damaged, you know, from yeah. from World Wars. And and had not been repaired, and but also still such a a cool, vibrant city. Um, so I would definitely say, definitely say Budapest. Oh, there, yeah. It's it's one of those places I want to go. I, I heard a, a story about um, Bill Murray was somewhere in Europe filming something, a film, doing a film, and he wanted to go to Budapest, and so he kind of left left the you know the 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 shoot uh after that at the end of the day and and no one could find him and he had gotten on a train to go to budapest <laughs> and spent the the night walking around the city because he had never been there and he'd always wanted to see it and then he gets you know he kind of just walks around the city throughout the night and then gets on a train to come back in the morning and he's back in to shoot the next day <laughs> but that's so cool he wanted to go <laughs> And he he did it all by himself. So you could have run into Bill Murray walking around the streets there. Um, if only. Yeah. I, I definitely would have accosted him. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so this one, next question is, you can define any way you want. Uh, what is the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary anyway. Um, okay. I would say then... Um, we, uh, my, my husband and I do a lot of backpacking, a lot of, mm-hmm. 
that country stuff. And we hiked to a point. Um, it's actually it's the tallest peak in Idaho, and um, but it's one of the one of that are above um, twelve thousand feet elevation. And there's a point in there that is called Chicken Out Ridge, and it is called Chicken Out Ridge for a reason. You um, there's a part where instead of going straight up, you have to literally walk across this tiny little um, skinny section of, of rock to get to the last like um, two miles up to the peak. And like, really, you can both sides are like a drop. Um, it is it is was the most intimidating. And I did not think it was going to bother me because I'm not really afraid of heights or, you know, I don't generally that doesn't really bother me. But when I got there, I, it was a scary, scary thing. And I would say that that is the scariest thing that I've ever done. <laughs> I'd Very be like good. laying on my belly, crawling across. It. Right. <laughs> that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I have, I don't like heights, especially if I'm not tethered, tethered to something. Mm-mm. Not for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's called, but it's it's called Mount Bora. So if anyone wants to check it out, you know, they should, they should go there. Cool. <laughs> they should Google themselves some pictures of Chicken Out Ridge on Mount Bora. You'll Chicken see what Out I'm talking Ridge. about. So our, our, our number one answer on this is, on this question is having children is the scariest thing that people have done. <laughs> And maybe the fact that I don't have any children is why <laughs> that is not scary. <laughs> Just wait. No, no. Um, no, but that that seems to be the most common answer. Most people, they think through all the things they've done and then, oh, having kids by I, far. Seriously. I can see how that would be. Yeah. Yeah. So what Talk is a pet? A great unknown. Yeah. What is a pet peeve of yours? I... Even though I know it is very well-intentioned for most people, um, Mm. one thing that is a pet peeve for me is when you're telling a story and somebody responds by starting to tell a story about themselves Mm. um, in an attempt to, like, empathize. So, again, Mm -hmm. I know it's well-meaning, but it it is sort of my pet peeve because I feel like it's, like, uh, you know, taking the conversation and making right. it about the thing they want yeah. to share rather than the thing that I was sharing. Right. So, um, yes. That's I, a really good one. Cause I, I, I've noticed people doing that, uh, a lot. So that, and that does bother me tremendously. So I would have right. to agree and with like you on I said, that. One. I know, I really do know and believe that they are doing it like that is their way of, showing trying to show me that they have experienced something similar and they can kind mm-hmm. of know where I'm coming from. So even though I know it's well-intentioned, a part of me is just like, let's, you know, just, we'll, we, we both can have our time right. to, to talk, but let's not trade them off. Right. Like let's right. not just, divert so soon. Right. Just shut up and listen to me first and then I'll <laughs> listen to you. So, yeah. right. And then I'll be quiet and listen to you. Exactly. That's right. so it's, it's not, it's not that difficult. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to do? Oh, this one's easy. I would be a surgeon. I find surgeon. 
Interesting. I find that the human body and surgical stuff fascinating. Um, and partially like, I, you know, I, I've had like some back surgeries. I've had, I've had some surgeries mm-hmm. in my life. And then I also have seen like, anytime I see pictures of other people's surgeries, or if I can watch somebody shows me a video of their knee surgery or whatever, um, I find that fascinating and medicine and the human body, um, da- hands down in another life. I was a surgeon. I, I just know it. Awesome. awesome. Cutting people open, checking it out. So what was, <laughs> what was the, um, the human body, um, at the museum, uh, oh, yeah. where, where they sliced the human body oh. and all those different things. What was that? I think it was, was it just called like the body exhibit? I think that's Something what it was like, like the body yeah. exhibit. Really fascinating. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about too, but I can't remember what it was called either. Um, so yeah, I have seen that. Uh, I saw it many years ago, but yeah, it, it was yes. really, really fascinating to walk You're through correct, and Kim, see it's all just that. called the body exhibit, the body. Very cool. But I had, a, I have a, a friend whose, whose husband, um, had a PhD in geology and decided to go back to med school. And now he's a cardiac, uh, surgeon researcher. So it's never too late. <laughs> never too late. Never too late. Um, so only, there's only a few, few, few more things I need to get accomplished and in, in where I'm at first. A few more <laughs> miles that need to be run on this one. And, and, then, <laughs> and then tackle med, medical school, right? And be right. a surgeon. Um, so last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, I would want to hear him say that he knows what's in my heart. Like maybe that I, you know, that maybe I wasn't always perfect or that I didn't always uh, show the best sides of me, but that, uh, that he knows what's in my heart and that, that that's okay and that I'm okay. That's what I would want to hear him say. That's a good answer. I like it. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, uh, Stephanie, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And if people want to check out the Therapy Essentials platform, they can go to the Presence Learning website, I would assume? Correct. The main Presence Learning website will take you there. Um, You can check out the platform options, um, and it'll direct you to the the individual subscription uh, website. And then also there's the... um, the link to the practical guide that I mentioned earlier that I also will share with you as a resource to the episode. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us a second time on the podcast and best of luck to you with everything. Thank you. I'm so glad I didn't know about the moment of then and that it was truly, <laughs> truly um, off the cuff. That was fun. She would have turned us down. Heck no, I'm not going back on there. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again. It was great to reconnect with Stephanie and we wish her best of luck at Presence Learning. And of course, all of our colleagues and friends over at Presence Learning, we wish them continued success and continued success with their Therapy Essentials platform. Go check it out if you are looking for a platform to use. 
And thank you for joining us on the podcast uh, for this week. We'll be back again next week with another episode. If you don't mind, please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new subscribers and to reach more people. And with that, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.